Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Dr. Rachel Casada Lohman. She's a board-certified clinical mental health counselor and a supervisor. So we're going to talk about her work on teen anxiety and anger. Rochelle, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Richard. If you would, tell me a bit about your background. Like, What got you into this area of work? Oh, wow. I started my work as a school counselor. But right before getting into school counseling, I started doing some research. I'm looking about at going into some PhD programs. So in my early 20s, I um, was doing research on a mother-daughter study at North Carolina State University in which I got to transcribe the stories of women who were in the women was in a women's prison facility in the state of North Carolina. And just hearing the relationships between those mothers and daughters and the trauma that had gone on in many of those relationships and how the women were explaining how they handled their own emotions as an adult, that really sparked my interest in anger. And then I also worked on another study with children that were in the system, the North Carolina system, who had a lot of anger and aggressive issues. And after being a part of those studies, it really put a light bulb, set a light bulb off in my my mind, just wondering how people can get so angry and couple that with aggression and act so impulsively and how their lives can change quickly and the repercussions of aggression and anger in the spur of the moment, how quickly it can take over a person. And when I started my work in the school setting, working with adolescents, I really got to do some groups, some individual counseling, work with students when they were brought to me right after getting into a, a fight or an altercation in the school and started noticing that some of the things that I was doing with the students was showing 
some very good results, even though I wasn't doing a research study at the time. I was a school counselor. But I started noticing thematically some of these key things that I was teaching and working with these adolescents on was actually helping them whenever they got into these situations, these anger-provoking situations. And then couple that with students who have anxiety, I noticed there was a high correlation between anxiety and anger. And sometimes we get so caught up in the in the manifestation of anger that we fail to see what's behind the anger might be anxiety. So all of that really led me into wanting to do more research, wanting to do more trainings, write books, sharing some of the things that I found to be successful when working with children who were angry, anxious, anxiety, working with children who struggle with depression, and just understanding each of these emotions and these issues that our youth face and what we can better do to help them cope in diverse and um, situations. Okay, so what have you learned about how anger manifests and what are some of the underlying reasons why, uh, you know, teens will get angry? Yeah, well, usually, and anyone usually gets anger because they feel they've been done wrong or someone they care about has been done wrong. So we seek some form of justice. It's at the time when we're angry, when we act out, we see that, you know, we don't feel that something's fair, something's not right. So understanding what those, what I call triggers, button pushers are, you know, we each have unique things, whether it's an adult that's on an interstate and needing to get someplace on time, <laughs> you know, and, and getting frustrated because they're in traffic. That can be a trigger for some people, that time, that lack of control of time, needing more time, which also goes into if someone who is highly anxious that's in that situation, they might act out of frustration and anger more. But triggers is the very first place because we all have certain things that set our anger into motion and cause it to escalate. So it's important to become aware of those very things that really push our buttons, because those are the things that we're going to be more sensitive to. Okay. So what kind of protocols have you developed or, you know, how do you help teenagers that have anger? The first thing with anyone, a teen or adult, is they have to want to make a change. So they have to see that anger is interfering with their lives or impacting them in some way. If if someone doesn't want to change, they don't see that they have the problem. It's everyone else that has the problem. It's really hard to make success. So first, there has to be a buy-in, if you will. So once someone realizes, you know, my anger and my short fuse has really caused me a lot of problems in my life, and I, I don't like how I feel when I feel out of control like that, then you can start the next step, which is what I call that awareness phase. We've got to, you know, figure out what kinds of things trigger your anger, sets it into motion. How do you react when you're angry? You know, some people are not physical. They're not aggressive. Like you can be angry and not aggressive and like vice versa. You can be aggressive and not angry. But what, what behaviors do you usually do? Are you, are you a yeller? Do you throw things? Do you scream? Do you hold it all in to the point where it just eats away at you? I remember being at a conference one time and a college student came up to me and said, you know, I really struggle with anger, but no one even knows it because 
I've always been told that I'm really calm, laid back, but I just hold it in and it just bubbles up inside me. And after talking with this individual later on, she went on to tell me that she did engaged in some self-harm. And that was her means of releasing the anger that she felt inside that she didn't release externally. So there's also this understanding that there's a way that people hold it internally in, even though on the outside, they seem like they're, they've are they got it all together. They're pretty calm in situations. So I think not making assumptions about what anger looks like, because it really can look like different things to different people. It, it really is in the eye of the beholder. The main thing is, is does it affect their functionality? You know, clearly it was infecting this student's functionality and that she was self-harming and she didn't know what to do with the intensity of the emotion and the anger that she wanted to, you know, express. But instead, people were taking advantage of her running on top of her, if you will, you know, because she was so she she appeared to be so calm in nature. We also, you know, the stereotypical version of anger, you know, you picture the Incredible Hulk. We can picture, you know, people to go through this transformation and have all this energy and all this power. We know what anger looks like, you know, from media, from fight to different things. So that's more the stereotypical type of anger that we understand. But there's also the silent anger. So once they begin to realize how they behave when they're angry and also what they want to do differently. What is it they don't like about how they're currently behaving and how it's affecting them, whether that be, you know, they're dismissed from school a lot, they're becoming more depressed, dismissed meaning expelled because of altercations and getting into trouble. How is it affecting them and what do they want to change? And then the next thing is helping them understand what anger is doing to them. And that can be through physiological components, how their body responds to anger. And this really becomes a teaching component of what I do. It's teaching them about the fight, flight, or freeze stress response that our bodies go through. And consequently, our bodies also go through these responses when we're anxious. It's like our natural desire to to avoid a threat or to, to see what's, you know, if we perceive something as a danger, our bodies flip the switch of the fight, flight, or freeze stress response. And if they're a fighter, you know, they're going to engage with other, engage in the situation, which can lead to some serious consequences. So just teaching them what's going on in their body, where they feel anger. You know, some people I've seen break out in rashes all the way up and down their neck um, whenever they get angry. You can see people's muscles begin to tense and flex. Their pupils become dilated. Their hearing becomes sharper. The blood pressure rises like the body is preparing because it, it perceives a danger. When the body is constantly going through this, when a real danger isn't present, this is actually detrimental, you know, for us to go through all of these chemical changes in our body at one time. So that psychoeducational, that teaching component and of anger and letting them begin to recognize how their body's responding when they're starting to get worked up. I call it up the ladder, you know, up the anger ladder. What's rung, what's rung number one? What's rung number two? So they can begin to be more aware. That's really the key is this self-awareness. What's going on, like talking to your mind and your body at the same time instead of just letting our emotions take over. Before we continue, 
I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. What does that mean? So when you start to get angry, what can you do to help yourself so you don't get extremely angry, let's say? Absolutely. And I probably heard, you know, let's count to 10. Well, there is power in breathing and teaching someone how to just take a few deep abdominal breaths and kind of get that that blood circulating, get that oxygen into the bloodstream um, to calm oneself down. If they can get away from a situation, that is best to disengage, to tell themselves, you know, I don't have to deal with this right now. Teach them little cues that they can come up with their own statements like you've got this, stay in control. Those little things that they can start running through their mind at the time. If they are a quick reaction person, the best thing to do is try to get away from the situation and put some space in between the situation so they don't quickly react. It's aggression. It's known as reactive aggression. But just being more aware, I'm getting angry. I'm feeling this coming on. I need to begin to de-escalate. I need to take some deep breaths. I need to remove myself from the situation. Let's say if it's a kid, they see something on social media instead of firing back when they're angry, you know, learn to put the electronic device down, step away from it, go get some fresh air, go for a run. These are important things that unfortunately in today's society, we stay engaged in the situation and we need to learn how to disengage. And one of those forms of engagement is through technology and electronic means. What do you mean engagement or disengagement? I don't understand what you mean. How does electronic anything interact with this? What do you mean? Well, kids use a lot of their time on social media, use a lot um, of time on social media. So whenever they're in on social media, if things are, if someone's provoking them or if they get upset or if there's a breakup and they engage in that conversation and they keep going back and forth, it's hard for them to pull away sometimes, but they need to learn those skills to just put it down, move away, take a step back take a deep breath, put some time between the situation, because oftentimes they're not thinking through what they're firing off to a friend or an ex-friend. And that's really important. And we've got to do a better job of teaching them those skills because the consequences sometimes really outweigh the, the benefits of staying in that conversation that's causing the difficulty. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Okay, so any examples of uh, kids you worked with and you know how they were upset about a certain thing and, and help them to resolve it or reduce it? Any specifics you have, you know, without names or anything? Yeah, absolutely. Whenever kids are 
thinking back to when I was a school counselor and kids that would come to me, you know, that would get a message or a text or other kids would be talking about them or they would be excluded from a situation coming into the office, just really mad. And it's happening right there in the very school day because social media is 24 seven, it's live and they're going back and forth. So it interrupts the school environment and they're all upset. But you don't know if they've really read the context, how they've read into the context of the information that was presented. So then you're having to engage in a situation where you don't have all the information as a counselor, but you've got a student who's upset enough that they cannot stay in the classroom over this type of or lack thereof communication that's going on. So you're having to coach them on have you talked to them? You know, it's only what's on the screen right now. Let's, you know, take a deep breath. Even when breakups occur on social media during the school day, it can really interfere with the school day. So just teaching them, you know, what's a way that we can communicate? How can we get more information? You don't have to send a response right now. You can put some time in between this. They don't have that automatic know-how to do some of that sometimes because they're so caught up in the moment that it's hard for them to pull themselves away from it. And unfortunately, social media with teens can cause a lot of miscommunication. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure what that means. So what should teens do? If they're mad because of social media, if they're mad and they go on social media, what are some of the dynamics here that will be helpful to them that they could watch? I think teaching them to Whenever something happens to make sure they have all the facts, all the information that they're not misreading. And a lot of that can be done in the form of educators doing classroom lessons, giving some examples to students. Like if, what if, what would you do in this situation and helping them walk through that? Because oftentimes they're in these situations for the first time. It's also important for parents to practice those skills. Those are called executive functioning skills. So they can begin to work through, if I was in this situation, here are some things that I could do. If I get upset, like I mentioned, you know, put the phone down, like don't respond. The same thing for adults. If you get an email that irritates you, you don't need to fire one back off. Um, You know, especially if you're at work, you need to put some time and some space between you and the situation. 10 minutes, an hour isn't going to matter. But you need that time to calm down versus sending off a response that you have, you know, end up having a friendship break up over or you end up having some work stress that results from it. So I think the key thing is just teaching them, if you will, um, social media etiquette and how to respond to each other and that it's okay to put these devices down, take a break from them, um, clear your head, so to speak, before engaging in anything. And also to be very careful what you put on there. You know, if, if, if a kid's angry, they could fire off the threat in an electronic form and then there it is. And it, and teaching them the consequences of their behavior whenever they're frustrated. But that comes not only from educators, but it comes from community members and school officials as well. So that's, that's well, just the it doesn't cycle. Seem like, it doesn't seem like there's any room for anyone to get mad or have any feelings. Things seem to be characterized as bad if you, uh, you know, microaggressions and all that crap. I mean, it just seems like, again, any, uh, any display of emotion seems to be demonized. So how, how do people function in that kind of world? I'm sorry, I'm, I don't understand. Are you saying... From your perspective today, people seem to be 
demonized by communicating through social media? No, by getting by having emotions, by getting angry, by saying things, by raising their voice, by anything like that. Yeah, I. Do you see that in schools? Are, I mean, what, what do you? What well, do you emotions see? are emotions. We feel how we feel. There are. And expressing anger in an appropriate way is perfectly fine. Anger is a perfectly natural emotion. Whenever we harm someone or we don't act out appropriately, then that can cause trouble. And it does have consequences and it can have legal consequences as well. So we have to teach our students how to be able to express themselves, use their voice for power and not destruction. If something's not fair, or if someone does someone wrong, hitting isn't the answer to that. There's a more appropriate way that they can advocate, bring awareness to the issue that they feel is wrong, be able to use their voice to express, you know, teach them to use their platform, their passion. That's important. That's what we have to teach our youth. You know, we don't have to physically be aggressive. That comes with consequences. Anger Using your platform, using your voice for assertion and not aggression is perfectly fine. And it's so what does that mean, better. using your voice for so what is that? Being assertive, standing up for something whenever you see an injustice or when you feel that you've been dr- done wrong. If you feel uh, that, that you haven't been graded fairly or that your teacher doesn't like you, teaching them to, to have conversations with that person, with their teacher. And if that teacher won't listen and they still feel that way, then go higher, go to someone else, use your voice for advocacy for yourself. And if you find that that's not being effective, then seek someone that's going to be able to help you, you know, use your voice for that advocacy. I think we've got to really help our youth understand how they feel. It's perfectly okay to be angry. It's perfectly okay to be happy. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be annoyed. These are normal emotions. There is nothing to vilify about how we feel, but there is something about how we behave and how we feel and what we do with that feeling. And that's what we're talking about right now is is what you're doing with that feeling. And if, if you do something that is in the form to harm another person. Well, that's not going to bode well with for youth in life. And we've got to teach them, what do you do with the intensity of emotions? And anger is an intense emotion. What do you do with that? And, what do you do if someone's harming you? It? What do you do if someone's harming you with their behavior? Harming me in what way? I don't know. There's myriad ways, but there's plenty of ways people can bully each other and harm each other with, with words voices. And Are you stand up stuff, for yeah. yourself? If, if we're talking like bullying behaviors, taking a stance, standing up for yourself, letting them know you don't appreciate, be unspoken to that way. And if they don't listen, then seek help. If you're a kid, you know, seek help. You don't have to put up with that. You can stand up for yourself. And if people don't listen to you, then use your voice to advocate and get help from someone a trusted adult. There are ways that we can take stands without hurting or harming someone. You know, when teens reach out for help, you don't see any disbelief in what they're going through or gaslighting or anything. What happens if that happens? If teen does try to reach out, they feel like they're not being listened to by the people that are supposed to help them out. That absolutely can happen in some situations. You know, I, the main thing is, is we've got to help our adolescents who struggle with anger, 
that is affecting, and when I say struggle with anger, I mean it's affecting their ability to function. Maybe they're getting suspended from school. Maybe they can't hold a job because of their anger. That That's problematic for them. And so what they're doing is not working. And we've got to work with them on ways to better be able to express themselves. So what have you found that's been uh, particularly helpful to, to teens that you counsel or you, you speak to? Yeah, I know one teen that I worked with in particular, I, I like to find out what their outlets are for releasing anger. So after the psychoeducational part is trying to help them find ways that they can release that level of emotion. And this, this young person was more of a physical person. So the kid was mad at another student in the school and had come to me and said, you know, ready to get into a fight. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Well, first let's go for a walk because I knew this, this kid needed to move. That was an outlet. And so we went for a walk and I ended up taking the kid into the weight room of the high school, gave the kids some boxing gloves and the kid got in front of a heavy bag and just punched it for a little bit. And then afterwards looked at me and said, thanks. I really needed that. So I gave, I gave the kid an outlet of where to release that level of energy that was way more appropriate than, you know, seeking out the student that he was angry at at the time. So finding out what those outlets are, sometimes it would be just a kid coming in to see me and I would dim the lights and just put on some soft music and just sit there and just chat with them. And that would automatically calm them down. You, that's why it's so important to have that self-awareness and get to know these kids. I can't say there's a one-size-fits-all program when it comes to anger. There are certain skills that we can teach that we know are effective, such as the physiological cues, the triggers, understanding their behavioral reactions. Those are our common elements. But when it comes to working with emotions as intense as anger, If you think of an iceberg, there's usually a lot below that iceberg, and it's not a one-size-fits-all iceberg. You really have to get to know the kids. You have to develop that rapport. You have to to develop that trust. And then you also need to know where that amount of anger is coming from. It could be some things are happening at home. It could be that they're carrying stress of a sick parent around. It could be that their parents are in the process of getting divorced. Like there's so much beyond and below the surface of anger that we have to understand what happens though. And I feel kind of has happened even in in our conversation is we get so stuck on the behavior that's occurring that we forget to go below the surface and figure out what's the manifestation of that anger, what's causing the anger, where's the source of it. And if we can go to the root, mm-hmm. then we can really help the kid with the skills that need to put put in place. Even my own research, I do single case research design studies, which I basically work a kid through their own anger management plan. And I've got some research that shows that by doing this non one fits all approach, but really tailoring it to that kid, teaching them these skills, teaching them how their body reacts, but doing it in a way that it just focuses on them, their unique needs has been shown to be very effective. So I think we need to not just categorize, you know, anger is this one piece, 
an approach for working with someone who acts outwardly with anger would be very different from the student that I mentioned at the beginning who was holding it in and engaging in self-harm. So I think that's important. That person's not going to want to go hit a heavy bag, right? (laughs) That person's not going to be able to get that out that way. We're going to have to change the way that we approach this to help this individual. But anger, the after effects of anger, sometimes don't feel very good. We regret what we've done. And I don't want kids to have to do that. I don't want adults to have to go through that pain of anger, but rather to understand that they're angry and be able to think through, use what we call the cognitive component of anger. There's three components of the anger. There's the emotion itself, the affect. There's the behavioral component, which we focus most of our time on today, which is the what we do when we feel that way. But there's also the cognitive component of which it's our thought processes when we're angry. And we can definitely help them use keywords like I've got this calm down, step away, these go-tos that they can work through a different cognitive process when they're angry. So they don't have these consequences. So it doesn't affect their life. But yet they realize I don't have to fight my anger. Anger's not the problem. The problem is what I do when I get angry. So what are some of the uh, the common things that uh, teenagers do when they're angry that you know you can address? Are there, are there commonalities in what they do? Well, again, it really depends on the individual. The most common thing we see in, in my work with youth, it's usually problems in the school because they've either spoken back to, been disrespectful and spoken back to an authority figure, be a teacher or an administrator, or they've, they've gotten in an altercation or thrown a desk across the room, you know. These are the common things that really impair educational functioning with anger. And just one of the things that I've noticed is giving them a safe spot to go to when they're angry, letting them know there's a way out, a place that you can go, whether that be the school counselor, the school social worker, the school psychologist, whatever systems are in place where that kid can go when they start to feel they're at level three of their anger ladder. And if they keep going any higher, that they're going to just, you know, really react out. And that's important when a kid can get up and go to that spot and just have a moment to collect themselves so they don't go into this overdrive of fight, flight, or freeze stress response. And for those kids we're talking about, that would be more of a fight stress response. But that's an important level of self-awareness when they can pull away and go. And even if they don't want to talk about it, because some kids aren't talkers when it comes to if they're really upset, they don't want to talk and not put that pressure on them. And I think sometimes we want to know what's wrong. Tell me what happened. That's actually one of the worst things you can do, Richard, is when you're working with an angry teen is have them rehash what just made them angry. It's only going to make them angrier. So don't have them regurgitate. What's that? You got to try to get them to calm down and just talk about it or breathe and then ask them or at what point do you ask them what the problem is? I wait until I see that that their body language has completely changed. So I just would start, I'd start talking about anything other than what happened. How are you doing? What's going on? Did you do that this, this weekend? I get their brain on a totally different topic other than- Do they talk to you when you do that? Sometimes. And then sometimes I will just 
get back to work and say, hey, I'm just going to do some work here whenever you, you're ready. Just sit there as long as you want. Take a deep breath. And I usually dim the lights. That's one of my go-tos, just to kind of calm down the environment a little. And they eventually will come around. I'm not going to force them to talk to me. I know sometimes when I'm feeling certain ways, I don't want to talk to people. So I give them that respect that, hey, we're just going to, we're going to chill for a little bit and get ourselves back together. And when they start to tell the story or what happened, it's not uncommon to see them start to escalate again. And that's a perfect time that we can teach them. Okay. Let my, I can see you're getting all worked up right now. Let's, let's not get back to that level. Let's just, let's, let's chill for a few minutes. Let's calm back down, take a few deep breaths. Let's just switch topics. We'll come back in a minute. There's no rush. That's very good. Can you tell me about the levels of anger when you get a chance to keep going? Please? Yeah, I, I think those pivotal moments when you can actually have an angry team in front of you and you can actually work them through the process so they can feel that they can calm themselves down. They are in control of their actions is really important. The levels okay. of anger, you know, the first would be you start to realize that you're being triggered, that something's irking you. There are so many different words we use for anger. I mean, can you think of a few, Richard? Like when I say the word anger, what what other words other than anger come to mind? I don't know, being pissed off. And then there's okay. different levels of anger. You know, there's yeah. like a, I don't know, people are stewing or, rum- I mean, rumination is a big part of it. Yeah. Playing the stuff over and over in your head. You know, I don't know. There's, you know, I mean, there's different kinds of anger. Annoying, annoyment, hmm. irk. Annoyance, yeah. Yeah, whenever we go through that, would you say that annoyance was lower on the scale than being pissed off for you? I don't know. I mean, what I found is sometimes something will happen in a day and I'm not happy about it. And then, you know, if I don't watch out, it'll affect the rest of the day. Sometimes if I have, you know, the the presence of mind, I'll say, what's what's going on with myself? And then I realize, oh, this happened at the store or whatever it was. And it takes the edge off at least if I can think about what made me feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Fixing it, uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but at least figuring out what's going on helps. I can tell you that much. Yeah, that awareness of this is what this is what's bothered me and this is what's affected my mood. I like to do a little technique I call um, shelf it. <laughs> and basically, metaphorically, you know, things happen in our lives and we don't have to deal with them all. You know, if someone ticked you off, you're going to let that ruin your day. And that's a question you have to ask. So sometimes when something's bothering, I use this in, in practice too. If something's bothering someone, I'm like, okay, do you, do you really have to worry about that? Or do you really need to resolve that issue right now? Mm-hmm. And eight times out of 10, the answer is no. Now, there are some things that are going to need to be addressed. Even if we're angry about them, we need to address them, right? But eight times out of 10, we don't need to address it right then and there. So then I ask, can you shelf that? So I see this as this worry, this frustration, whatever, as almost like a little book that can go back on the shelf for another time if we even need it. But odds are you might not even cycle back to that come tomorrow because you're going to have a whole host of other things that you'll be focused on. And in that other 20% of the things that go on in your life, let's come up with a game plan of when you can say, no, I got to deal with this one. Okay, well, how do you want to deal with this? What do you want the outcome to be? How can we get, is that a realistic outcome? And how can we get you closer to that outcome? 
And yes. sometimes that's just, you know, have you ever been in a situation like this before in your life? And if the answer is yes, well, how'd you handle it then? Oh, I didn't handle it well. Okay, what did you do? Because we don't want to do that again. <laughs> so it's empowering. But again, it's individual need, you know. Of Makes sense. What What's worked in their life? What hasn't worked? If it hasn't worked, let's not go do that again. If something's been effective, then how well, what, can we apply uh, what, it? What about an, another side of this? You know, if you're in uh, school and or on a date or whatever it is, you're interacting with somebody and you can see they're getting pissed off. What can you do to help the situation so that you're not on the receiving end of, you know, someone's anger? Yeah, well, it depends on how well you know the person, but I could say I can see you're really getting worked up right now. What can I do to help you out here? Now, if you feel they're angry at you, then, you know, you can you can call it like it is. I see you're upset. Yeah, I, I want us to be able to communicate and try to help walk them down their anger. If they if they keep climbing, the best thing to do is give them some space. If you notice that it's happening, you're not if you're on the receiving end, you're not responsible for the other person's emotions or actions. But if you see something coming, you know, give space. If someone's angry and you're around them, the worst thing you can do is close that proximity and get too close to someone who's angry because mm-hmm. you don't know their style. So you're going to want to give them some space. Okay. Um, talk calmly. You don't want to go back at them yelling. You don't mm-hmm. want to, you want to watch your body language whenever you're around someone who, you know, you, you sense, you know, that the anger is just radiating off them. Like you don't want to you know, hold your fist at your side. You just, you want to be very relaxed. You want to seem composed. You also, if you're here, somebody who's angry, want to make sure you're going to, you have a safe way out of the situation. When I do this with educators and we're talking about de-escalation, make sure you're near a door or a place that you can exit quickly if you need to. So you don't, you want to give space and you want to have a safety plan for you if you're around someone who's extremely angry. And then kind of walk them through, talk in a calm, soothing voice and model calmness. Let that begin to radiate. If, if you can, you can use a little humor. That, that's always iffy. If you're not good at humor, don't use humor. That can escalate a situation. If you're good with humor, you can definitely use it and, you know, apply it to the situation pending who, who you're having problems with. But, the way that we carry uh, I would I would guess also um, it would be a mistake for some people. You know, I think some people when they're confronted with anger, they'll immediately start saying they're sorry, even if they don't even know what's going on. And I would guess that would be, um, you know, probably a bad trigger as well. It could. Absolutely. That's that part of assertion. If you don't know what you've done wrong and you're near someone who seems to be really angry with you, wait, what do you need to say sorry for? No, I know you wouldn't need to, but do people do like, so if you're not the one that's angry, but if you're on the receiving end of it, you know, what are some do's and don'ts? Like you said, don't crowd them physically, make sure you have a way out, et cetera. Any other tips or tricks? Yeah. You don't necessarily need to apologize if you don't understand what you've done wrong. Just, you know. Yeah, I've seen it before. That's why I say it to you, you know. I'm going to give you some, um, you know, I'm going to leave right now. Let's talk later. You're clearly worked up. What can I do to help you calm down? If, if you want to help them calm down, if you just want to leave, then, then get out of the situation. Now, if you, you fear for your 
your own safety or if you're in a, a situation where you fear for your children's safety or something, you do want to try to find a safe way to exit that situation and get help. You know, we're talking a lot of hypotheticals, so there's a lot of different ways that situations that can play out. But well, for I mean, look, so if, if you're dealing with high school, I would guess you're going to probably have to advise young young guys differently than young women, because young women may be exposed to more circumstances where, you know, if, if someone gets real aggressive with them, they may not be able to to deal with it. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, a man, boy would, I don't know, you know, so I'm just wondering, like in your counseling of people, that's what I was going to ask you is how do you see uh, boys and girls handle this differently? And how should they handle it? differently? Well, there's no right or wrong answer on how, I mean, other than if they handle it maladaptively, but for how to handle anger, I mean, we all, we all experience it, but with girls, what we actually know is there are certain stereotypes that exist, you know, that boys are more aggressive than girls, but We've actually got some research that shows that girls feel levels of anger and aggression. Similarly, they're unfortunately have been taught by society, you know, through those um, stereotype norms that they have to hold it in. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy either to teach them how to express it, where boys have been told that it's more socially appropriate to release their anger. Right. So we've got to to do a better job at on both fronts of being able to talk through this is anger, perfectly normal. What are some normal ways or healthy ways, if you will, that we can express anger? What are unhealthy ways? What are the consequences of how we express anger? But helping our youth when they're in situations, safety first for situations where you feel that someone's going to attack you safety first, you know, you're not going to sit there if you don't feel safe, you don't need to de-escalate any situation. You need to, to try to get to safety. That's the very first thing you've got to protect yourself if you're in a situation where you you feel you're in danger. And that's for boys or girls. So uh, if, if it's just a friendship, though, see what you can do through means of communication and having space and be able to talk, learn how to, you know, talk to your friend at a different point in time because you you cannot reason with anger not in the heat of the moment well do you see uh boys handle their anger differently than girls do before their coach or before their help i think from my experience i've seen girls hold it in more or express holding it in more than boys and where where i've seen more boys get into fights but i've dealt with girls that have gotten into fights as well Again, it's not a one size fits all. And I don't like to put a blanket approach on stereotyping emotions to according to gender norms. I think girls have been traditionally taught that it's more appropriate to hold their anger in, not to express it, that that's not proper for them to do so. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy either. I think we have to have means of expression, whether it's pounding it out on the pavement, hitting a pillow, going, you know, to shoot some hoops, whatever it is, if we need an outward way to express it, boy or girl, they need to have an appropriate way to get it out and to work it out. I'm not saying they don't need help. I'm just wondering, you know, again, what do you see, how they manifest it differently? That's all. Not trying to stereotype or anything. I'm just asking you based on your experience, what you see. I think girls suppress, from what I've seen, is girls suppress it more and boys use more external means, but not not in all cases. 
Right, I know. I'm sure it's not in all cases. Understood. Who are the people that are like you that help people in in high schools? Is it, you know, the counselor for the school? Is it a school nurse? Is there no one that's really designated to do this? Like who who could and should be doing this? Let's say in a school yeah. environment. Everybody. That's a great question, Richard. Well, I'm a clinician. As I got. Well, I got so. one good question. Then. You got good questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> as a clinician, I see children in my own private practice, youth in my own private practice who struggle with with anger and want to work through that. So I see them clinically. In the school setting, there are school counselors. Some schools have social workers that are there full time. It's real. That's a hard question to answer, which makes it a good question because each district in each state sets up things differently. So well, I can see, like, if I was in the school, you, you know, if you were in a school, I can see you're you're making an effort, you're helping, you're improving, you know, you've got a nice skill set. But I would think most skills, I don't know if they designate anyone. I don't even know if they're aware of this. They, they pay attention. That's what I mean. I, I would school, guess that I do a lot of trainings that bring me in to talk with school counselors and school social workers and school psychologists. So those would be some mm-hmm. of the key people. There's also um, some schools, districts have funding for behavioral interventionists that work with children. So it really depends on the district and the school setting, but the, the ones that are trained in understanding the developmental needs of youth and also being able to help them with what we call social emotional development and skills is going to be your school counselors, your social workers, and your school psychologists. So any of those individuals in a school setting would would be able to understand and help these youth in these situations. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and about this whole body of work on how to help people with, with their anger? Yeah, there's a lot of really good resources out there. You can definitely visit my website at rachelcloman.com. I've got several books, um, and the Anger Workbook for Teen is actually an internet gone in international versions as well in many different languages. And it goes through some of the processes that I've talked about today. There's also a really good website. I know we really didn't get into it today on anxiety, but it's the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. They have a lot of great information out there. And then if you're working with a child who is impulsive, maybe with attention deficit, one of my favorite go-tos is Attitude. They have a website that you can sign up for information on that it's ADD, capital ADD, and then attitude. So some really good resources out there for educators and for parents and also for youth that are maybe looking this up at home, trying to do some self, self-care on their end. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate oh, your help. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Richard. Have a great day. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.